everybody. Welcome back to Fabulous. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Taylor. And I'm Shannon Payne. Well, yeah, it really is recording. Uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, we're about to, you know, you guys know a lot about our personal lives and that's, mm. that's a thing that's true. And, very. Uh, but a thing that's also very important to us and personal to us. <laughs> Both. Is mental health. And, and this time of year can be difficult. It can be really tough. And Shannon's wanted us to talk about this for a while because these people are so important to us. So we're talking about... So we're doing it. Mental health heroes. (laughs) It was... mm, We are torn apart currently. This has been a week (laughs) of sleepless nights and... You know, I was was thinking this was going to be that, like, cathartic moment of, like, read about the people who are doing the things and... Uh, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm a. Uh, there were parts of it that were heartwarming, and other parts where we're just like, I can't believe this is my life. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm really excited that this is a badass bitch who fought for shit. Same. Like, I'm super stoked about it. Mm-hmm. Like she was, she was incredibly inspirational to me, and so, so that good. that was exciting. It's just, you guys, it's mm, it's really easy to find information about. Famous people or famous things or... Or super weird looking people or uh, unique things. But as soon as you start to just find everyday people... Even if they've done extraordinary stuff, mm -hmm. nobody cares where they're from or who their mom was. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but the stuff that they did is important enough to talk about. Absolutely. For sure. So it was worth, I feel like it's worth it in the end. Then yeah, I had all of this anxiety. I stayed up like all night last night just freaking out about this. It's <laughs> what happened. Everybody's like, how long does it take to write an episode? And I'm um, like, in the just writing it or in the like the total mental breakdown of it? Because that's two, two different, different things. things. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Have you seen the lady on TikTok? This is, I don't think it's that popular a video, but she's like, I had a full mental breakdown last night. A full <laughs> menti <laughs> Like, that's what it is now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's very funny. I like this. <laughs> a full minty bee. A full minty bee. Well, she, mm. she works in food service, so you can imagine she's very she gets it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Food service is stressful. <sighs> it is. Mm. Um, okay. I'm going to start. I have a bit of a preamble. Okay. So, um... I don't I don't want to be like an oversharer, but I do have a rule with myself that I don't I don't not talk about mental illness when people ask me questions about it. Yes, because someone else being honest about theirs. Honestly, it changed a lot about my life. Absolutely. Brittany King, you're the best ever. And when she when when I knew that somebody else who I thought was cool and charming and totally going to be alive tomorrow was also depressed, like my whole perspective on it changed. Mm -hmm. And so I don't it's not a secret, um, but it is it is complicated. And some of you are strangers and we don't have like book club status. You and I, we should work on that. We should work on that. Um, So I'm going to tell you some stuff that's a little it's close to the chest. Yes. <laughs> but I don't I don't think we should be um, ashamed of the topic in general. I think it is so much more common and present in the lives of more people than you think. Absolutely. Um, but sometimes it's hard. It's harder to talk about um, a thing that you care about than it is about a thing that is general. Right. And this is a thing I care about. A lot. So here I go. <laughs> I'm proud of us. I'm proud of you. Oof. 
originally I was going to talk about this guy who knows a whole bunch about ADD or sorry, ADHD. Okay. They're, they're uh, the same thing, but the name has changed in the DSM, but um, doctors and uh, um, researchers still use them interchangeably. So I probably will during this too. Totally fair. Uh, That guy is super cool. Um, But then I remembered this woman, um, Sari Salden, and uh, she changed my life. Oh my God. So that's who we're going to talk about. I love it. Um, Sari is a cute name, first of all. S-A-R-I. Oh, that's super cute. Sari Salden is a psychotherapist, a speaker, consultant, um, but most importantly, in my opinion, (laughs) um, she's an author, the author who wrote the very first book about adult women with ADHD. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Um, She spent the last 30 years studying that very specific thing. Um, but that's not where she started. When Sari was a consultant to a counseling program for adults with learning disabilities, which was also one of the first of its kind oh, um, yeah. in California in the early 90s, um, the mental health world was just starting to talk about and publish information about adults with ADHD. Okay. Up until then, it's very much naughty boys in class. For sure. That's what you would envision every single time. Mm-hmm. So instead of just growing out of it, they were realizing that minus the hyperactivity in a lot of cases, ADHD was still like present in the lives of a lot of adults. Yeah. Um, Sari realized that a lot of the adults that she was working with were exhibiting um, a lot of the, quote, disorganization and attention problems of ADD. And she also noticed that women were dealing with these things, plus the fun bonus of intense shame about those behaviors. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Shame. I don't know if you guys know this comes from the ovaries. Mm, Truly. (laughs) Where else can it come from? They're busy little guys. Mm. (laughs) She says the men had more support at work and at home, and they weren't as burdened by the same sort of cultural messages about gender roles as women. So I started tracking the experiences of women and the difference between men and women struggling with these challenges. This is in the early 90s, and a lot more women were staying at home as moms, Mm -hmm. and a lot more men were, a lot fewer men were taking on uh, their their share of the responsibilities of parenting. Yes. Um, and so they had extra help. Somebody else made them dinner and asked them how their day was. Right. And these women struggling with the same problems were not getting that same support. Exactly. Um, she says for women, there was the added layer of what happens when these challenges collide with gender expectations. They felt they were failing to meet these roles and failing as women as a result which is fucking rough that's intense um it's so funny that um that we've worked up these things that are so arbitrary genders Mm -hmm. into also these moral ideals right what a man is and what a woman is um when i mean if you are a woman then that's what a woman is (laughs) that's it that's that's really it Mm -hmm. So it's we do hard things to each other for no reason. It's so dumb. Um, In 1993, they had the first conference for adults with ADHD and it was all of these wily adults, um, some who probably talked too loud a lot, who interrupted or wandered off during conversations. um, And every single one of them, I assume, had forgotten to bring at least one thing that day. Mm -hmm. They were all in the same place with their neurodivergent brains bouncing off of each other. Oh, my goodness. And um, 
they hadn't all done that before. It was exciting. Um, Once adults started speaking up, she says women began to define for themselves their own unique experiences. So the ADHD doctor people did not love this at first. Of course not. I think it's difficult for professionals who have gone to a whole bunch of school they paid a lot of money for Mm -hmm. to let lay people tell them what things are about. Right. That's rough. Uh And then when um, most of those people are men, for women to be like, actually, it's like this. Hang on. They didn't receive it 100%. Um, It was complicated for them. Yeah. Um. She says, um, speaking up, according to Sari, felt like a feminist based movement because it meant defining our experiences for ourselves. After the conferences, women started connecting on AOL chats. Yes. (laughs) That takes me back. (laughs) And these women made connections with people like them, which is one of the most affirming feelings of all feelings. Absolutely. To know that you're not alone. It's just... There are other people who understand you and understand your how you're feeling and experiencing. Yes. Them. It's hard to describe what that feels like. And then, I mean, I mean, there are words for it, like you're not alone or whatever. But mm-hmm. you know that feeling of it not feels being like alone. Finally catching your breath. Yes. It's <laughs> truly what it feels like. It is beautiful. She says women started connecting to each other all over the world and felt empowered by being able to define themselves and share their own experiences unfiltered with other women after years of isolation. And this is pre-internet, pre-social media. Right. So they are so isolated without this community Mm -hmm. because how how likely is is it that you'll go to parent-teacher night and uh, know somehow that another woman has ADHD also. Right. It's not something that just comes up casually in conversation. And the internet for good and bad has connected a lot of people. Absolutely. What what an amazing part of this story. I think good timing for Sari. I can't speak for anyone but myself, uh, but so much of my ADHD is a secret. Yeah. I try to sound brave when I talk about it, but it's kind of like having to take medicine for the worst aspects of my personality, which is difficult. And even when I read books and do the exercises to see these behaviors as anything other than character flaws can be hard. Um, so now, rather than in chat rooms, which I assume only exist on Brian's Darknet now. <laughs> Money. I've, I've assigned it to Brian. It's yours now. <laughs> it's Brian's Darknet. You're going to get weird chat messages <laughs> now that you own the dark net. Oh, boy. We still need to have him explain it to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a requirement. We bear our souls on the TikTok. Yes. <laughs> and honestly, I, I couldn't be more grateful. Um, a lot of people are not. They're being weird about how many um, adults are being diagnosed with ADHD. It's very... What are the what are those girls in recess who all have the same the Ashleys? Oh yeah, it's very Ashleys of them, I think. Absolutely. Sorry about all those paper noises. Um, in the last couple of years, a lot of people have learned about the symptoms of ADHD and then gone to the doctor and discovered that they have it after being um, evaluated and have started to be treated for it. And some people think this is a bad thing. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, like it's less special if more people have it. 
I just... There's this one guy who's written a bunch of books with his like BFF. They both have ADHD. I think their wives have to remind them to call each other. <laughs> and um, it's he says that um, having ADHD is is like having a brain with the engine of a something about fast cars mm-hmm. um, and no brake pedal. Ah, yes. And uh, and I thought the privilege of your penis is really helping you see only the good parts of this. Truly. <laughs> because if you behave um, too excited, you're enthusiastic. Yes. And if I'm too excited, I'm hysterical. Absolutely. And emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I'll get asked if it's a certain time of the month. Right. Mm-hmm. Or calm down. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I respect that a lot of people want to find like the secret superpower in all of it. Um, but doing that without acknowledging the other thing is dumb. Mm-hmm. I read another thing, and I think it's also in The Queen's Gambit, which is an excellent television show. Absolutely. It said um, that it's two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. You get your gift and you get what it costs. Yes. Um, so if you need to think about it as a good thing, you can also remember that there's a price involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to tell you the truth, Internet. I don't I don't really want it. Not, not really, no. <laughs> um, but I'm learning to accept it and I'm glad that I can give it a name and learn the tools that I need to live with it. And a lot of that has to do with Sari. Um, in the interview I read, Sari's asked what her vision is for the future of the conference and her books and speaking opportunities. And she said, maybe I'm trying to be a model for women with ADD because I had to push myself to do this, to tell you the truth. I had to push myself to celebrate my accomplishments publicly. I had to push myself to take the risk that anybody would care. I had to push myself to put my voice out there and take the chance to put my voice out there and that people would understand what I was trying to say. Because people with ADD deep down, you always carry with you that fear, that feeling that people aren't going to understand what you're trying to do. Um, she says, I think that what was so healing about the book on a personal level was that people really got what I was trying to say and that I wasn't so different. There were hundreds of thousands of people out there who did share my vision and share my understanding of women with ADD. Um, the book she's talking about, her first one, she published it in 1995 and then it was... There was a revised edition that I think came out first in 2015, but it is currently in print. Okay. Where she added the terminology for executive dysfunction. Okay. And a lot of ta- a lot of psychologists say that that's a more a more apt name for the whole thing is an executive function disorder. Absolutely. Um, so it's it's excellent that she's added that terminology in to this book that's called Women with Attention Deficit Disorder: Embrace Your Differences and Transform Your Life. Formerly, it was titled Embracing Disorganization at Home and in the Workplace. So I'm glad you changed that. <laughs> yes. I didn't love it. The one that I've read um, is A Radical Guide for Women with ADHD. Embrace Neurodiversity, Live Boldly, and Break Through Barriers. She wrote that one with Michelle Frank in 2019. Okay. And she has a third book called Journeys Through Adulthood, but it's ADD Adulthood. Oh, okay. A New Sense of Identity and Meaning with Attention Deficit Disorder. And um, if you're on TikTok, of course you are. Of course. Um, Just listen to what people have to say about these books. Every one of them is going to be like, everything is different now. That's amazing. They are so meaningful. And one of the things that she gets all the time from women is it was like you came and watched my life yeah like it I've never 
known anybody else to understand me so well. And it's these things that you think make you different and weird, but all of us are replying to Sari in the exact same way, which means we are not different and weird. We just needed to know more. Exactly. And that's so wonderful. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And and she's... You don't have a lot of opportunities in in life to be the first of anything. Right. And to be the first person to write this kind of book, I blew my mind. I'm just really freaking grateful uh, that Sari said something and then a bunch of women started talking and eventually one of them talked to me via TikTok, which is an intensely intimate experience. Yes. <laughs> I mean that sarcastically, but also deadly serious. Deadly serious. Yeah. yeah. Um. My life is so different since I've been diagnosed and um, began treatment for ADHD in massive and minute ways. I'm I'm devastated and also like really proud. Yeah. And Sari deserves a lot of credit for that. When asked to identify which of her books is her favorite, Salden said, that's her last name, if you hadn't remembered. I just, we're on a first name basis now. Absolutely. (laughs) I guess I will always have a special place in my heart for women with ADD because when it first came out, no one else had written on the subject. It healed so many women around the world who saw their experiences described and for the first time knew they were not alone in what they'd been experiencing. Can you imagine the joy in being someone who could have been the driving force for that? I hope she feels it. I hope she does. <sighs> I I learned about executive dysfunction years ago because I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder when I was uh, 19 or 20 mm-hmm. um, and um, generalized anxiety disorder. And I couldn't have understanding why there were such barriers between me and the things that I knew I could do but couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um was so hard (laughs) until I learned about executive dysfunction and it is a symptom of depression, which makes total sense, but I actually had it backwards. Yeah. Like it's a symptom of my ADHD and so is my depression and my anxiety. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And knowing the real cause of a thing and being able to treat it from the beginning makes a huge difference. And if you don't know things, then you can't, I mean, you can't advocate for yourself. You can't ask for the help that you need. Doctors don't come into the office for your annual physical and ask you, have you been feeling um, any attention deficits lately? And and sometimes when you ask, they still don't listen. I listened to um, an interview of her on a podcast and the lady asked her, like, what are people supposed to do if their doctor just makes them feel shitty about it or doesn't help them? And she said, it's not like doctor shopping to want to talk to somebody who doesn't make you feel bad. And I was like, you are right, Sari. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to the doctor and they make you feel bad, maybe you could see a different doctor. And that's a difficult thing to do in the United States where healthcare is already so expensive. And you've it, already paid your $67 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult, especially in Utah, where I've jumped from doctor to doctor to doctor because one told me I was crazy when I said I was in massive amounts of pain. <laughs> and one said I was like, it's just, it is a wild experience to have jumped through so many doctors and still felt the same level of judgment. Mm-hmm. And it is... Going to the doctor now is anxiety inducing. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's it's rough. 
And uh, when you, when you have a mental illness and take medication for it, you have to take that uh, quiz every year mm-hmm. when they renew your prescription. It's like the most fucking stressful day of my life every year. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, like this last year, I took a picture and came home and showed Seth because oh <laughs> I was like, "This is the best score I've ever gotten!" Yay! <laughs> Post ADD diagnosis. Yes, that's probably why. That's why that's a huge thing. But it, it's it's there's a lot of trauma involved in like bringing your dirty laundry into the doctor's office with you mm-hmm. and just being like, please rifle through this <laughs> and, and please don't out, judge me, pull out the weirdest stuff and help me fix it. Uh-huh. Oh, that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it. It's like, like Nixon. No, thank you. I don't like it. No, thank you. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's yucky and hard. Ugh. Okay. Thanks for listening to me. Talk about that. Um, everybody go, uh, walk around the house a couple of times. Take a few deep breaths and we'll be right back. <gasps> Okay. I hmm, I had a tough time this week. Yeah. I was I wasn't sure how I wanted to go about this because there are a lot of personal things that I could have tried to look up, but it's another one of those things where life has a way of making it hard about talking about things that are going on in your life and the things that are impacting you because it could impact your career. It could impact so many different things. And so I was trying not to delve too deep in myself today, but I wanted Mm. to delve deep into somebody who impacted situations and communities and fucked up things that I'm really excited that she saw. And she was like, Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool. So I was I was working really hard this week to find somebody small, not somebody who was trying to do things to make a name for themselves, not somebody who was really like putting themselves out there because they just wanted to make a name. And I found her and it was amazing. She was someone I'd actually like never heard of before. Her name is E. Kitch Childs and she is a fucking warrior. Oh, she is so cool. Throughout her life, she fought hard for the rights of minorities, women, and the LGBTQ community. This week, I want to talk about her work with these different communities and movements and organizations that she played a role in. Um, In a 2017 article in the journal Women in Therapy, Wytris Richardson describes her absolutely perfectly. She says, Dr. Kitch Childs was a radical visionary with the fortitude to live her life as fiercely intelligent, gay, black woman with purpose that included combating the isms of society. Combating the isms. Nice. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I was really excited. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a background on her, kind of what her situation was, what she really ultimately went into, and the beliefs that she had and the the impacts that she made, because they're they're awesome. Mm -hmm. So Ellen Childs, or Kitch to the people who actually knew her. That's a cute name. It's super cute. She was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on April 11th, 1937. She was the youngest of four children and had three older brothers. At a young age, all four children moved to Chicago with her grandmother. The reasons for why are unknown. Um, Her early life was pretty private. And so we don't really know a lot about it. But living many of the formative years of her life in Chicago at this point in time, there was a lot of violence to be dealt with and segregation issues, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And this might have been a contributing factor to Kitch's fervor in fighting hard 
hard for the rights of others around her. That's so brave. It's so brave. It is so brave. It's, I think it's one kind of bravery to do it as an ally. But when it's like, when it's you. It's you're directly your life. These things are hitting you. And both things are hard, but that one just seems bigger to me. It seems huge. And it was a battle that, unfortunately, she became really intimately familiar with all too soon. Racism in the U.S. reared its ugly head, and in a racially charged attack, two of her brothers were killed. No, kitsch. The exact date isn't really known, and we don't know the ages at which these two died, which in and of itself feels a, like a stark condemnation on the on society as a whole. We didn't care enough to write it down. Pretty much. Jeez. This event, combined with so many others around her, played a big part in the ways that she ran with her life going forward. She's so cool. She's so smart. She's a smarty pants. So even at a young age, Kitsch was smart as hell. So she received a bachelor's degree in chemistry. Oh. Right? While she was still a teenager. Show off. She's smart. Wow. <laughs> After that, she took time out to serve as a member of the United States Navy. Oh, wow. And she separated with honor and she she served her country fiercely. Wow. Once finished with that, Kitsch went to the University of Chicago to get her master's degree in human development, but the degree wasn't the only thing she was focused on. While studying, she was also a founding member of the University of Chicago's Gay Liberation Movement. Hell yeah. As well as the Association for Women in Psychology, which is an organization we're going to talk about a little bit more at the end. Nice. And from there, Kitsch just didn't slow down. Once she finished with her master's in 1972, she continues on and earns her Ph.D. in human development from the University of Chicago. This came with an added distinction. She was the first African-American to earn this degree from the University of Chicago. African-American woman, I should say. Wow. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of black people live in Chicago. Absolutely. So it's not like she was the only one about. Right. So that's that's really cool. It's really it's really cool. All right, so once she graduated, Kitsch was ready to become a practicing therapist, and soon after graduation, she moves to Oakland, California, to a house that she inherited, probably from her oldest brother, who's still alive. He's actually a pop he was a popular jazz drummer. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he's awesome. It was a small, simple home, and it was in a lower-class section of the city, but that was perfect. That was exactly where she was going for. This is exactly what she, where she wanted to be. She took a truly unique approach to her practice. She was genuinely devoted to helping marginalized groups, understanding so many of the struggles that they were facing because she was a part of three minority groups herself. She was a person of color. She was a woman and she she's a lesbian. So she's a part of she's a part of three groups who at that time are significantly marginalized. That's several isms. Several isms. She changed up the norms and set up her... Is it misogynism? <laughs> it should be. Misogynism. <laughs> Two isms and, and an, an E. e. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like it. Get it, girl. Um, she changed up the norms of her practice in a few really important ways, and I think these are very cool. So first, her practice in mental health was based out of her own home. Wow. Yeah. She wanted her clients to feel comfortable and she saw a sterile office environment as a barrier to some clients truly feeling at ease. Ooh. She didn't like being in a clinical environment herself, so why force others to bear it? Not only this, Kitsch was always willing to go to see clients in their own home as well. Can you imagine the amount of opportunities for 
care that would open up. Absolutely. To people who can't get babysitters, can't get. Or the care that they need is to learn how to leave their house. Right. Like that's so important. It's huge. (laughs) And that is safe. We were just talking about in the break, like, was it in the break? Yeah. The trauma of just going to the doctor. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. know? And so, um, if somebody, if the doctor can just come to your house, you can miss out on all that scary part. Exactly. That's really nice. You're at your home. You're in your safe place. Mm-hmm. No, that wasn't in the break. It doesn't matter. You guys know. You guys know. You're with us. I talked. You heard it. That's cool. Absolutely. So she truly took every step that she could to ensure that every person she saw had the most positive experience possible. Kitch was one of the first practitioners to consciously offer this home-based therapy option. It's really cool. I love it so much. This one I love too. This is huge. This is amazing. Kitch fully understood the community she was serving. She knew that for many, setting aside money to put towards mental health development and maintenance was not always an option. When the choice comes between keeping the lights on and putting food on the table or seeking out therapy, obviously food and lights went out. Yeah. To address this, Kitch incorporated a sliding scale fee that actually went down to zero. For her counseling services. How generous. Absolutely. Dr. Ellen Katchik, who worked really closely with Kitch, describes what this looks like. So she said, the feminist therapy model, which Kitch uses, used a sliding scale based on ability to pay. And that's how Kitch wanted to keep it. She was true to her clients and what they could not pay, they just could not pay. She would counsel them for what they could afford. That's really beautiful. It was. It's wonderful. I, and I'm, I know... For her, that was also a struggle because it's not like she's not rich. Now, when therapists don't, not everybody makes the most money in the mental health field. As someone who worked as a social worker, I can attest that you also live close to poverty. That's why we don't have enough of them. Absolutely. And that's life saving work. Yes. Wow. So she, she was doing life saving work while sometimes putting her own needs aside, which may not be the best way, but she wanted to make sure people had health. People had care. She seemed smart enough to be able to prioritize what she needed to when she needed to. She also found that weed was a big help for her. Hell yeah. Absolutely. So good for her for finding a way to uh, cope with some stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go into feminist theory because that was the that was the primary therapy that she used to help with her clients. And I want to point out right now, feminist therapy isn't just for women. It is it is an all-inclusive approach. Um. So I'll go into it. At its most basic, feminist therapy is an approach that has a person look at the power dynamics in the community that they live in and how culture and socialization processes within that culture affect a person's life overall. A person will work with their therapist and identify the ways in which oppression from society directly impacts their life and then work to develop personal empowerment and contribute towards greater social change, leading to a core component of feminist therapy, the personal is political. So she's making a whole little army of people with self-confidence who want to do what's right. Yeah. Kitch. I know. I love her. So I wanted to, I went online, did some research. Betterhelp.com actually had some really good outlines of what are the principles of feminist therapy and then what are the techniques that they use. Oh, cool. So this comes directly from them. Um, not that they're sponsoring us. <laughs> but, but if you want to do 
I could use some free I, therapy. Absolutely. <laughs> this podcast has made like $28. So. Oh my God, we're rich. Yes. So if you guys could like text us. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> we will uh, take your call. We absolutely are. Uh, we'll answer immediately. Which says something because I won't answer very often. That's true. Phone mm. calls are scary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you, you, we've got it. Mm, truly. All right. So BetterHelp outlines six principles of feminist therapy. The first is to address the personal and political reasons for why a given person might be seeking out help. Understanding the why behind it, understanding the true cause of everything. The second principle is to seek to commit to social change as a whole. The idea is if you can begin to foster positive changes in yourself, you will be better equipped to facilitate positive changes in your local and larger communities. Makes sense. Absolutely. The third is be willing to consider a diverse range of perspectives, because if you get stuck in one, it's it's hard to branch out and understand. There might be a better way if you're just willing to branch out. Mm-hmm. That's not easy to do. No, it's not. <laughs> Number four, an egalitarian dynamic is the goal. The therapist and client should be on an equal footing. Power imbalance goes against the ultimate goals of feminist therapy in general. Love it. Mm-hmm. It's a strength-focused approach, so that's the sixth principle. The primary focus isn't on the diagnosis that a person has, but on the strengths that a person has to address it. And then number six, oppression comes in a myriad of forms and all people can be impacted by it. That's beautiful. Right? And then BetterHelp does give us four techniques for what you would probably see a practitioner using if they were using this approach. So the first is self-disclosure, ultimately facilitating a conversation. Oftentimes it's Easy to feel like you are the only one feeling a certain way. We kind of talked about this before, or going through a certain struggle. Yeah. More often than not, though, like we talked about, others are going through a similar thing. And the therapist's goal is to understand what a person is thinking and feeling and then facilitating a conversation to help them understand that they are not alone. Because you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And if somebody can just tell you, actually, they're like, there's people like you. Gosh, the whole world's a different place. Absolutely. It opens up a whole wealth of resources. Yeah. It's amazing. A particular focus of conversation will often be about stereotypical gender roles and the toxic impact that they can have on the mental health of many. And that includes both men and women. Because we have, we have toxic expectations for both genders. Absolutely. It's not, it's not one or the other. Both have toxic expectations. Uh, technique number two is analyzing the pow- power balance in a person's life, examining where imbalances exist in any direction. So whether you are the one that has too much power and is using that in a negative way on somebody else, or if you're the one who has somebody else using too much power over you, you can help identify more appropriate strategies to implement more positive ch- life changes. I was in um, a discussion oh. with Seth Taylor last night. And I was like, I feel like when this happens, um, and you tell me a thing that I didn't do very good, even if you're like totally right, I sort of want to come up with one for you so that it feels fair. You're on equal footing. Because <laughs> um, this is this is not a good feeling yeah. to be the one who fucked it up. And he's like, that's interesting. You should say that because when it's the other way around, I feel the same way. And I was like, oh, oh. That's a really nice perspective. (laughs) That's 
it's nice to know that I'm not the only one. Like, it was just really nice. It's not just me. To even that shit out. It yeah. felt good without, like, coming up with a mean thing to say, which yeah, would have been so shitty. It's not the right way to go about it, but it's how you feel in the moment. Yeah. yeah. To just be like, oh, I can take my turn then. Mm-hmm. That feels fair. That feels fair. I am the one who did something not nice. Now it, now it yeah. makes it. Yeah. I liked it. That's conversations. <laughs> they're hard. They're but, hard, but they're but important. They're mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. All right. Number three is reframing. This is all about shifting your perspective. Kind of what we were talking about. Looking at the situation in different ways and with more information can help a person more positively interact and adapt in different scenarios. Huge. Look at this. Look at this. I read a lot of psychology blogs. Okay. (laughs) We know things. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. They're basically expensive. I've been reading a lot of the internet. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yep. One hundred percent. Please make more of those books available on Kindle Unlimited. That's just a little request from me. That'd be nice. Yeah. Wouldn't that everybody, be nice? Not everybody. I mean, there have been massive parts of my life where I just have not had fourteen ninety nine, which is a, a pretty affordable price for a book. But, but I didn't have it. Yeah. Could have used the help anyhow. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't know. Everybody. We just talked about how mental health care workers do not make any money. It's true. So they should get paid for the books they write. It's a tough balance. <sighs> Let's just stop doing money. Yeah, that'd be that'd be the way to do it. Problem solved. Easy done. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <sighs> All right. Number four, the last one is social action. Clients are encouraged to go out into their communities and advocate for positive change as much as they are comfortable with. So it's not a forced situation. It's whatever level you feel that you can go out and help impact change in your community, go do it. That's kind of a big ask. It is a huge ask, which but, is why they say the level that you're comfortable yeah. with. It can be none. And you none know, is okay. I was just thinking as you were talking about that, like, um, what if what if your community action was just like helping your neighbor weed their garden? That absolutely counts. Like there's probably a spot for all of us at our own comfort level to, to reach outside ourselves. It's That's, not all rallies. It's not yeah. all going and being that level of out there you don't have to declare your position to declare that you're kind not shitty neighbor absolutely that's that's nice it's like i'll keep that in mind i was like that's too scary i don't want to that's what i did too but like i was reading it and they're like no it's whatever it's it can be as small as you want it to be it can be so contained to and exactly it doesn't have to said. be the same every time. No. So I can be braver or less brave. Exactly. I love and that. And it doesn't, you can go back and forth, back and forth. It is just whatever you want it to be. Oh, thanks for walking me through that kit. She's great. I got a little nervous. Nah, she's here for you. <laughs> All right. So on top of everything we've already talked about, Kitsch did so much more to affect positive change in today's world. So here are some of the big efforts that she was a part of. The first one is COYOTE, which is an acronym for... Call off your old, tired ethics. Nice. <laughs> I Coyote. love this so, so much. So she didn't found this. This was actually founded by Margot St. James in San Francisco. And it was an organization that promoted the rights of sex workers everywhere. Beautiful. It, it was all about let's have destigmatization in sex work in general because it is, it's a career. It's. People do this for a living and it's legitimate. And stop with your prudish judgment. Nobody cares. 100%. Beautiful. They also seek to provide education on safe sex practices and just making people just generally aware of HIV and AIDS and just how to be cautious around that. 
And how to be smart around that. What was I? It was, I follow like the New York Times on Instagram and I didn't follow the link to the article, but it was about how there's like a big rise in STDs right now. And also people are using fewer condoms. Because we are dumb about sex education in this country. If we knew more, we could probably do better. We would do so much better. So you guys wrap it up. All right. Please hate yourselves. Yes. That that's really what it is. Be kind. Get tested. Yes. 100%. (laughs) And then another thing that they work to do is to help provide support for both those women who want to stay in the profession of sex work, as well as those who want to find a different option. So they want to be a support for both ends. For honestly, it's not both ends of the spectrum. It's the spectrum. Yeah. Where they want to be there for every level of it. Perfect. Kitch was a huge supporter of the effort and worked tirelessly throughout her life and career to help this organization thrive. Which is awesome. She sounds like she might have been tired a little. She probably, she was. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit at the end because she (laughs) definitely was. She, there comes a point where you have to have self-care for yourself. Absolutely. Um, In 1973, Kitch appeared as an expert witness in a court hearing conducted by the Chicago City Hall where the discussions were happening in regards to bills covering sexual discrimination. Oh, wow. In her testimony, Kitch said, let me begin my remarks by pointing out that sexual love is a human experience, not a disease process. Fuck yeah, Kitch. Absolutely. She further expounded on this idea when she was interviewed by a local publication that I love called The Lavender Woman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where she said, I am a feminist first. A feminist interprets things for herself and or with other women. I am a woman and I am a psychologist. I am not defined by the single variable of whom I sleep with. She's cool. She's so cool. She's reminding me of that uh, sort of cliche thing. Do no harm, but take no shit. Yeah. Like she has such empathy and a giving spirit, but also... This is where she's putting her foot down. Absolutely. That's that's excellent. It's so cool. Like she she's so cool. Okay, this one is big to me. This one is huge to me. For those working in any mental health profession, you become intimately familiar with what is called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, or the DSM. Mm-hmm. Not the BDSM like I accidentally called it last night. Whoopsie day. That's a different <laughs> That's a different book. thing. Totally different. Probably more likely to add and take away from that one than the actual DSM. Yeah, true. They're real choosy about this one. They are real choosy. It was developed by the American Psychological Association, who I'm going to refer to as the APA going forward. And it is considered diagnostic scripture in the psychiatric world. The intent was to have practitioners across the country utilize common criteria to consistently diagnose the symptoms exhibited by people across the nation. Its intent in many ways is good, but there have absolutely been flaws from the beginning. Because people are fucking flawed. Super fucking flawed. At its initial release in 1952, the DSM classified homosexuality as a mental disorder. Specifically, it was labeled as a, as a sexual deviation under the category of sociopathic personality disturbance under the larger umbrella of personality disorders. Are you serious? <laughs> I knew it was in there, but I didn't know. <laughs> the family tree of that is, is quite epic. Mm-hmm. It was also lumped together with diagnoses, quote unquote, of pedophilia, fetishism and sexual sadism. Not these things are not all in the same like realm. No, the Venn diagram of this thing is 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 um, different corners of the block. Uh huh. Okay. Well, 
it's different now, I it's guess. So I don't need to now. get worked up. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Many professionals of the time already actually knew this was bullshit. Good. So Alfred Kinsey. Well, oh, I know Kinsey. Kinsey, the Kinsey scale that many of you are aware of, and his team had already published a report on a study that they had conducted that determined that from the from the group that they had studied, only fifty percent of adults were one hundred percent heterosexual throughout the course of their lives. I mean, sounds pretty questionable, honestly. And from this, he kind of goes on to do the whole like Kinsey scale, build that out, and it it's a spectrum. Yeah, you are not. 100% one or the other typically or usually somewhere in mm-hmm. the middle. And if you're like, yeah, I am. You haven't thought about it very hard yet. And, and maybe, maybe you are. Some people are. But, but most people, I think, think about it for just a minute. Mm-hmm. There's got to be at least an exception for Scarlett Johansson for most people. For sure. For sure. For sure. I feel like she should probably have like a dot on the scale. Scarlett Johansson right here. Right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, truly. a woman named evelyn hooker conducted a study that compared how happy and well-adjusted homosexual men were compared to heterosexual men and found no significant difference (laughs) nice but the general consensus of the ruling board at the time was that these studies didn't mean anything and it kind of just got thrown out did she do it with her girl brain yeah maybe that's why that's probably Mm, why damn it Time moves forward, new versions of the DSM come out, and homosexuality is still included as a disorder. The only thing that changes is the specific place that it's located in the manual. In 1969, the Stonewall riots happened, which is a big fucking deal. I Mm -hmm. feel like that's another episode-worthy thing. Go look it up. I couldn't go into it because that that would be too long. Go look up the Stonewall riots. And it is an impetus that propels mental health professionals on the ground level, including our girl Kitsch, mm-hmm. to take action. Activists nationwide protested on the streets, and when that wasn't enough, they went and addressed things internally. They attended APA conferences and made sure that their voices were heard. Nice. Absolutely. Even when the APA used the rebuttal that these protesters' quote-unquote diagnoses were impacting their judgment. You didn't. How dare you? Hmm. Kitchen activists kept up the fight. I know. Fucking gross. In 1973, the first step to declassify homosexuality as a mental disorder occurred, but it wasn't fully removed from the uh, DSM until 1987. 1987. That's too damn long. It's fucking wild. In honor of her contributions to this effort, Kitch was actually inducted into the Chicago Gay and Lesbian Hall of Fame in 1993. Is there a museum for that? I don't know. I hope so. That'd be a fun thing to see. Right? Right? Wow. So before I finish up here, I want to talk about, because she was a founding member of this, Kitsch was, the Association for Women in Psychology. They're pretty cool. hmm So this group worked hard to bring to light the fact that sexism was rampant in the organization of the APA and just mental health in general, and it needed to be addressed. It's a huge problem. We need to talk about it. Yeah. By 1973, the APA decided to establish a division dedicated to the psychology of women, and it's now formally known as Division 35. The AWP is still fighting the good fight today, addressing things like the fight for women's reproductive rights and the continued discrimination against women still found in psychology world and in the DSM just in general. We're on 
We're on so many versions at this point. Mm -hmm. To give you guys an idea of who they are and what they believe, I'm going to read to you their vision statement and then the goals that they have as an organization as a whole. And then we'll stop there. Okay. So their vision statement is, we are committed to a just and inclusive world without sexism and oppression, one that supports the psychological development and well-being of all people. Wow. Gosh. What a laundry list of demands. They've right. Made. Honestly. <laughs> so here's the goals that they have. And there's a lot, but I'll, I'll read through them quickly. So they... Their goals are providing feminist training and continuing education for members, challenging and critiquing traditional ideas about mental health, acting responsibly and sensitively with regard to people of all identities, challenging traditional societal structures and institutional policies, working towards the elimination of all types of discrimination and oppression, including but not limited to gender and gender identity, race and ethnicity, age, social class, sexual orientation and sexuality, religion and spirituality, ability, size, country of origin, immigration, partner status, or health status. Next is understanding the intersection of identities, creating opportunities for feminist contribution and the dissemination of feminist ideas within the field of mental health, promoting and supporting feminist activity, promoting a forum to address current issues related to the to feminist teaching, scholarship, research, institutional, and clinical practice, creating a diverse AWP membership and leadership, which is huge. Mm -hmm. And then promoting research and activism in women's health and then providing feminist mentoring and support. Nice. I think they're really cool. I was reading into a lot of stuff that they're doing right now. They're still going strong. They're fucking awesome. Yeah. And she was a person who was directly involved in founding this group. And I think that's amazing. When you were in your psychology classes in school, um, were there about the same number of women and men in your classes or was it uh, dramatically different? So the psychology portion of it, I, there were definitely more men. In the social work specific portion of it, 100% more women. That gives me doctor and nurse vibes a little bit. A little bit. Well, We'll have more of them if these guys keep up their work. Absolutely. So. She was she was really cool. So she she stopped practicing in the late 90s. She she decided it was time to take a break. She actually went to I believe it was France. Nice. I believe it was France to go to go live with a woman that she became interested in. How romantic. Yeah. It ended up not working out fully. So she actually moved to Amsterdam with her oldest brother. And that's where that also that's sounds where romantic. she's just retired. Good for her with the weeds. With the weeds. And a girl, kitch. Yeah. She was really cool. It was really it just, it was nice to read about somebody who, she made a big difference even though she didn't have a lot available to her. And I think that's really cool. I mean, that's the fate of most of us. No matter yeah. how much we say we would like it to change, not everybody is going to be Jennifer Lopez by the end of their career. Right. And we have to do what we can with what we have. Exactly. And it's nice to see somebody do it. Yep. Because it, it can feel oh, difficult. It feels a lot sometimes. So it's nice. It's really nice. And just because their relationship didn't work out doesn't mean that Paris wasn't romantic. Right. I'll have to look and make sure that that's where she was at. So I guess that's homework for me. Yeah. Um, but I know it was somewhere in Europe. And I was just like, you know what? That Good for you. Go run after love in Europe. What a chance. Absolutely. That's really cool. Gosh. Thanks, Kitch. She was cool. <sighs> <sighs> But I'm glad this week is over. Yeah. You hmm. guys look out for your your minds and your hearts. It's a tricky time of year for a lot of people. And it's fucking dark outside. Yeah. That makes it 
even more difficult. And if you need help, reach out. Reach out. Um, If you haven't heard from your friends, check in on them. Let's look out for each other. We've got each other's backs. That's what we're here for. Uh, we every year has a January. That's just factual. Mm-hmm. You know what? Every year also has an October. Truly. And we have to do one to get to the other. So yeah. everybody hold on tight. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends, let's do this again sometime. Say hi to your mom for me. Yeah.